Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're giving feedback on five more of your own teasers of your own TV pilots. But before we get into today's paper tease, we have a few announcements. And first up, uh, about the Austin Film Festival, as we mentioned, both Alex and I will be there this year, and we can now finally announce the panels that we will be on. Uh, so first up, my fiance Miranda, who's a former guest of the podcast, will also be doing a panel called Working with a Composer at 9 a.m. on Saturday 26th at the Intercontinental Stephen F. Austin Assembly Room. The panel that I'm hosting is called Breaking Into TV, and will be at 10.45 a.m. in the Driscoll Hotel Citadel Room. And Alex's panel, Structuring a Series, will be at 3 p.m. in the Driscoll Hotel Maximilian Room. They're all on Saturday, October 26th, and they all feature some incredible panelists, including Aaron Ginsberg, Nichelle Tremble-Spellman, Steve Conrad, April Shee, Jimmy Mosqueda, and more. Absolutely. It's going to be incredible. I'm personally really excited to uh, moderate my panel. I'm sure you are as well with uh, your incredible lineup. So you can join us there. And also, we will have our own paper team meetup or paper meetup, uh, if uh, you will, mm-hmm. on that day on Saturday, 26 at 5 p.m. in the Driscoll Bar. And that's following my panel uh, that is uh, at 3 p.m. And it'll be kind of a casual meetup for paper team listeners to get to know each other and uh, say hi to us as well. Uh, before we all uh, drink ourselves to death at the different parties. <laughs> yeah, really looking forward to that. I know a couple of people were uh, asking if we were doing anything for Paper Team so uh, at Austin, and that's what we'll be doing. That's right. And uh, on the Paper Team slash Paper Tease news, we have some breaking news. What news is that, Nick? That's right. Our second live event for the year will be actually a live script reading of one of our Paper Tees winners from this uh, season of Paper Tees. Uh, we can announce that the reading will take place on November 20th around 7 p.m. at ArtShare LA in the downtown Los Angeles Arts District. Uh, what we can't announce yet is the the winner or the ticket information. Those will be coming soon uh, at the end of our next Paper Tees episode on November 4th. Right. And to be clear, we have not yet decided at the time of this recording and, and release uh, who uh, the winner is. So please feel free to continue sending in your paper tease uh, excerpts just because uh, we will still be reading them and giving feedback. It's just the idea is that we're going to be selecting one person amongst the pool of many people that we've read so far to read and do a live table read amongst other things on November 20th. Absolutely. And if you are a Patreon supporter, you will get early access to those tickets. So check the Patreon feed in the coming weeks for more details on that. As a reminder, our Paper Tease segment is where we review your TV pilot teasers of up to eight pages that you send in online to us at paperteam.co slash teaser. They can be any format, any genre, as long as it's from a TV pilot and it's the teaser or cold open only. That's right. And that's at paperteam.co slash teaser. And we begin our session with the first of two Patreon subscribers dedicated slots. And uh, this time uh, we have a longtime listener, uh, Alyssa Rivas, who sent us a teaser. Yeah. So this is The Holy Cannolis by Alyssa Rivas. In summary is, we meet Bill, a father and his two kids in a broom closet as the dad is going over a list of their demands. He then hands the children ghost Halloween masks. Bill then joins his wife Joan in the kitchen during a seance with a client of hers. One of the children sneaks up to them during the seance, pretending to be a ghost, which scares Joan and triggers her into convulsing on the floor. The others gather around, thinking it's for show, but Joan doesn't move. What were your thoughts on this, Alex? 
So overall, I thought it was quite fun and enjoyable. However, the big thing that this teaser brought uh, to my mind is just I thought it was a little bit totally off in the sense of I wasn't sure who was on the joke at what point. Uh, for example, presumably Vera is, is the gullible client, but when she's reacting to the whole situation at the end when Joanne falls to the floor, she's very nonchalant about it. So sort of the, the big headline to me is just on the tone level, uh, a little bit off. Yeah, totally. I thought this was a lot of fun uh, in particular. I, I enjoyed the kind of flipping of the power dynamics between the kids and the dad in the closet as a you know fun negotiation, all that kind of thing. But I agree with you, Alex, that perhaps we weren't grounded enough in the situation and who the people were and, and what was in play before we really started to dive into the scene. You know, I think you need to establish the rules of the game before you can really kind of have the most fun with it. I wasn't exactly sure whether this was a seance or an exorcism or, you know, whatever it happened to be. Yeah. And to that idea, my solution at least would be to stay focused on the seance itself and play up the joke with the kid showing up during the seance as a moment where the audience is isn't quite sure what's happening in the same way that Joanne is not quite sure what is happening, especially because as it stands, the, the teaser starts with the sequence in the broom closet that although, you know, it's a fun back and forth between the dad and the kids, I didn't really understand the point of that scene in terms of the teaser, because the teaser, once again, it's got to hook the audience in, it's got to be uh, a little bit evocative in some way. And a broom closet conversation, although fun and maybe uh, expositing character, doesn't really link it to the seance itself. Yeah, it kind of gives it away. You're letting the audience in behind the curtain before we've got to have fun with the doubt and the playing with expectations earlier on. So I agree with you. I think that, you know, you could just play out that seance scene as it is. And then you perhaps you have this broom closet conversation later, like, Dad, you promised us we got the library card we got the whatever or you know some other rearrangement of that where you get to preserve kind of the oh what is this up front and then you know get into the kind of the fun behind it all yeah the other thought i had was and that's maybe more in terms of the seance dynamic itself i was a little bit confused in relation to what the character dynamics were especially again the client with the family uh, because uh, vera seems very familiar with bill uh, she even calls him billy boy so uh, going into this teaser cold without any other context than linearly reading it, it i wasn't clear sort of the familiarity of Vera to the family itself. And especially considering that she is a client, it was a little bit uh, off-putting in that capacity. Yeah, for sure. A couple other things for me, particularly, it sounded like for me, the kids' voices didn't they weren't naturalistic to an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. And obviously, you can have kind of heightened characterizations of these kids, but given this is the first time we're meeting them, just something about their voice and their choice of words and whatever didn't quite sit with me exactly right there, especially for a 6-year-old. Yeah, just to go back to the sounds and the very dynamic uh, quickly, I wasn't clear also if she was a guest character or a lead, especially given that she has the final line in this whole teaser. That's another element to watch out for is, is she a sort of a guest character, a recurring client? or is she part of that family dynamic to the point of bringing the audience into someone else's house through the perspective of your lead family, I would look at the Haunting of Hell House opening, not literally the first scene, but just the first scene with Steven when he's uh, sort of investigating this other woman's house. Uh, and that's because we are in another location that isn't going to be a Steven-related house. It's a client's place, but we're seeing it through the perspective of Steven. So I think that's the, the key piece 
piece here is just also an element of perspective. Now, to jump on what Nick said in terms of the kids, we also lose the second uh, child, I believe. Uh, he goes entirely unnoticed as soon as we leave the broom closet. So that's another element to watch out for, just how and why are we getting those kids into the teaser if they're not involved uh, beyond the first scene? Well, yeah, I think they both show up in their masks and under the table and whatever. But yeah, I think it is an issue of uh, point of view. Like you're saying, who are we seeing this through the eyes of? Is it the mother? Is it the dad? Is it the kids? Because honestly, one of the stronger characters in this teaser seems to be the the client. And But that's not who we're going to be following for the series, presumably. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just checked the script. There's a very brief mention of the second kid in a very passing uh, prose line, but there's no dialogue there's no mention of him beyond the one line but uh, i definitely hear you in terms of emphasizing the kids presence if you are gonna have them in the show i think that's the the key point here Right. And for me, it was about their voices, too. It just can kind of sound like a typical 11 or six-year-old kid. And that's fine if you're going with a Wes Anderson style kind of thing where everyone's a little bit heightened and everyone's very, you know, has their own personalities. But um, I just think that we needed a little more focus, I guess, on who we're seeing this through and, and what it's all about. All right, so what would want to make you read on here versus not? Yeah, I mean, uh, my whole thing was more focused, tightened focus on not just the, the characters, but really the action and uh, milking the scene from maybe Joanne's perspective would be my take and really putting us in the feet of that character as she's living that moment and a fear and then collapsing and also bringing some consistency in terms of tone. Uh, again, uh, I'm not sure if it's a comedy. Or, uh, there's definitely some levity to it, but it's still puzzling, especially given the gravity of the situation, how much of it is supposed to be treated so nonchalantly. Yeah, I think the question for me is, what is the show past this teaser, especially if the whole premise has been set up so far is that their mother is a ghost hunter uh, and the family are trying to talk her out of it. If she collapses and dies at the end of this teaser, then what is the rest of the show and, and where do we go from here? So, you know, it almost has the problem of being too close ended and uh, there's no real thread into the rest of the thing other than the, oh my God, is she dead? Is she alive? What's going to happen next kind of thought? Uh, I think you could be doing a little bit more to kind of pull us into the rest of the show and establish what the engine and uh, the premise will ultimately be. Yeah, I think that ties back to focusing on the other characters as well and sort of giving us a little bit more meat within that seance uh, and uh, understanding sort of their dynamic and their relationship towards Joan. Now let's move on to our second teaser and our second patron, Max Weisberg, who sent us the teaser for Hotel Gramercy Park. And the teaser is set in 1973 at the real life location of the Gramercy Park Hotel in New York, which was the go-to accommodation for celebrities, rock stars, and elites, including David Bowie, Bob Dylan, and Hunter S. Thompson. And we meet the proprietor, Herbert Weisberg, as he makes his morning rounds at the hotel, assessing the damage from the night before. He checks on their beer and wine stock, then is called up to room 609 to deal with some groupies who are still asleep in a band's room from the previous night. He enters to find it completely trashed, TV thrown out the window, covered in cocaine, carpet on fire, but he simply tells his staff to clean it up and bill it to RCA, the record company. His next stop takes him to room 1714 and the sex worker Marlene, seemingly his paramour. She needs his help. She claims one of her clients never woke up in the morning and she cannot risk calling the police. Herbert enters to find the man dead, still wearing a rubber. What did you think of Hotel Gramercy Park? Yeah, so this is really interesting. I thought that there was you know good writing on the page description and particularly the sense of place given that the hotel is such an important character in here. 
And again, this is such an interesting subject because it's a real life place. It seems that the the writer has a very real connection to it. I believe that the character of Herbert is uh, Max's grandfather from my reading. And so he's intimately familiar with all of this and there's a lot to mine from. So, you know, I think that there's a lot there in terms of a show, uh, a hotel staff that has to clean up after these celebrities and the rock stars accommodate their needs. But maybe the teaser plays it a little bit too safe for me. Like I had to go and read up about the hotel and its history to get a lot of those details, like who stayed there and all these scandalous stories. I would have liked to see more of that perhaps injected up front, even in like a title card or something, rather than just getting kind of the the aftermath of some nameless uh, band that kind of came through. Yeah, I also really like the ambiance of the teaser and sort of the hotel and that world building. It kind of reminded me of the second season episode of Angel. The The second episode of the second season of Angel is all about the hotel they're staying at, and uh, it's also a pure piece. I believe the Angel episode is in the 1950s or 1960s, and uh, this is the 1970s. I thought it was a decent day-in-the-life sequence where we see Herbert's movements and uh, and sort of uh, his character as someone who's very uh, specific about his job. And so that's very good. Uh, but uh, it was a little bit straightforward in terms of the narrative. There, there wasn't that edge I was looking for in terms of something I've never seen before, uh, especially when you have a show like Grand Hotel on ABC and other shows that have explored that dynamic of a sort of a fancy hotel and that upstairs downstairs dynamic. I really wanted more meat. And uh, it sounds like just from the backstory of that hotel, there's a lot of sort of controversial elements to that hotel and the, the members of that hotel. So that's perhaps the piece that was missing in that teaser. Yeah, I think you don't want to pull any punches here because you do need to stand out from, you know, places that have been done on hotels before. And because there is so much interesting material to mine from here. And I think one of the things to me that would have made it a little bit more compelling uh, is giving more of a window into Herbert as a character. I think right now he seems a little bit functionary. He's there as a device for the plot to reveal some of these interesting things about the hotel and the characters within it. But I don't get as much of a sense for him as a character outside of perhaps his thrift and his unflappability about the things that go on. You know, if he's our protagonist, I want more emotional investment insight into what makes him intriguing outside of just the job that he does. Yeah, I have the exact same thought in terms of I really wanted a good sense a better sense of who Herbert is as a person and as a human being beyond just the kind of champagne he wants served or the kind of uh, liquor he wants in his hotel. Uh, that's one element of a character, but that's not who he is as a person. And uh, I feel like you do have the opportunity and the real estate in this teaser, even with the current characters that you already have to showcase that, especially with uh, Marlene and uh, the other members of the staff, you can definitely play up and see who Herbert is on a deeper level. Uh, and going back to point of view again, uh, when in, we're introduced to Herbert, we actually first meet one of the, uh, the bellhops, Pinky, and then Herbert comes out of the elevator. I would have almost liked to meet Herbert first and then meet all the other staff through him just to ground us better in his point of view. You know, at the start, I almost wondered whether, you know, is this about just the bellhop and the owner is just one of the characters? But, you know, obviously this is Herbert's show. So uh, I think something there could have been tweaked. Yeah. And I feel like you got to remember that you have the rest of, a, of your pilot to show the day in the life aspect of uh, the hotel and Herbert's life, the teaser should be focused on sort of what's evocative and what's unique about the hotel and perhaps presumably through Herbert's eyes. But nonetheless, in terms of the narrative and the story and the impact of that story, that teaser is the moment where you got to lean into that. And uh, showing sort of the upstairs downstairs dynamic is fun as an introduction, but it's not sort of a, a unique teaser that's going to make me want to continue past uh, page six. All right, do you have any micro notes on the page? This is very micro uh, again, but uh, a couple of uh, small, I don't know if it's uh, really typos, but uh, just formatting typos, I guess. 
on page three, uh, James Tuttle is not fully capitalized. So that's one thing to watch out for. And uh, the other element is just uh, some of the spacing was a little bit off here and there. Uh, for example, on page five, there's an, uh, a piece of dialogue with a leftover space and sort of uh, that trickles down to the rest of the script. Yeah, one of the things I noticed, which isn't necessarily an error, but perhaps a, a preference, uh, in the slug lines, I think most people, and, and certainly myself, I like to separate the bigger location from the smaller location with either a hyphen or a comma rather than all running together. So, for example, you you have like Gramercy Park Hotel Room 609 Day, uh, you'd either, you know, Gramercy Park Hotel, comma, Room 609 or hyphen Room 609 rather than just kind of like throwing it all into the one thing. But it's really just a, a minor visual note for me. And uh, what makes us want to read on versus not? For me, I think the key here, aside from what we've already discussed in terms of drawing the juiciest stuff out and putting it into the teaser, is giving us more of a sense of the stakes and the threat. I want to know that there's more on the line for Herbert. You know, why do we care that there's a body here? Uh, what does it place at risk? Is this maybe something he just deals with all the time and can make go away because he knows all the cops or whatever? You know, I, I need more investment in Marlene and their relationship as well to feel like she's really under threat. So in order to have this be the most effective hook into the series, I need to know what does this body mean for Herbert and uh, Marlene and why should we care? Yeah, I definitely co-sign all that. I feel like the the teaser does a, a good job at expositing sort of the hotel dynamic and the upstairs dance says and the world building, as we mentioned, but there's a lack of forward momentum and urgency to that story. Why are we caring about these characters? Why are we caring about this body? Like you said, there's a lot of those elements that are missing from the teaser. And I feel like if you pull up that threat, up the, and really focus and heighten those elements and sort of the rock and roll aspect of that hotel in the teaser, it's going to really push it forward. Yeah, there's the concept of like, why today? Why are we coming in and seeing this morning of all of the possible mornings? And, you know, is it because tonight David Bowie's coming in with his entire crew and they're going to book out the hotel? So it needs to be spotless. And they obviously can't have any dead bodies or burning rooms or whatever there. You know, what is at risk and at stake and, and what's kind of dangling over their heads while they're going about their day to day? Yeah, and you have those pieces there. It's just about heightening them and really focusing on those as opposed to sort of the day-to-day -day stuff that could happen in any other episode. And as a reminder, those were uh, submitted through our Patreon from our Patreon supporters who we appreciate very much. So if you want to get in on those dedicated slots, you can go to paperteam.co slash Patreon and sign up and you'll have a much better chance of having your paper tees read. Our next paper tease is Sensitive by Katie Parisi. We find Cynthia Sinclair described as the Dolly Parton of psychics doing a presentation or show in front of an attentive audience. She picks someone from the crowd for a demonstration, which leads to Jody Rice standing up. But Cynthia was actually pointing to someone else behind her, so Jody sits back down. Later, Jody's on her way out and steps into an elevator. She presses the closed door button as a family rounds the corner. The doors close before the family can get into the elevator. Jody apologizes to them behind the glass doors as she starts to sob. What were your thoughts on this, Alex? I quite like the emotion trying to be shown uh, from uh, Jody's perspective. There's a lot of potential there, but I found the execution was a bit anticlimactic over and didn't really land for me. Every scene I thought quite literally ended on a whimper and not a bang, which is problematic in a teaser. For example, the big dramatic moment is Jody pressing the closed door button before she even notices a family rounding the corner and then the door closes. And even the first uh, sequence, sort of the big reveal is that Jody and us realizing that the psychic wasn't talking to her, but someone else. And uh, that should be the out. 
with all that said, I feel like the the big takeaway here is that I thought the perspective was confusing. I think that's the big thing that I wanted heightened in this teaser is if Jodi is our lead character and if she's going through all the roller coasters of emotion of uh, being left out and being isolated uh, despite being in this place uh, of uh, acceptance, I wanted it all from her perspective and really heightening that element. Yeah, I thought this was uh, an interesting vignette for a character, but it didn't really feel like a full teaser. It didn't kind of have that fullness to it or that sense of, you know, completion. I was expecting, you know, another scene to happen after this elevator or perhaps more to have happened before that to get her to this kind of emotional state. Um, Like Alex said, with the point of view, we spend the first two or almost three pages in uh, this Dolly Parton psychic Cynthia's point of view. uh, And and she does have a lot of character to her and she's very interesting. And then we just kind of inadvertently meet uh, uh, Jody. Uh, standing up in the audience and we don't have quite as much time with her so I haven't had as you know the opportunity to become emotionally invested in Jody and and care about her and why she's so fragile right now yeah absolutely and I feel like if this is presumably your protagonist and your lead character you need to oversell that character introduction that is the moment where we meet the character the lead so you cannot downplay it, even though emotionally, obviously, it's sort of a, a subdued internal emotional turmoil that she's going through and it's very internalized. That said, in the prose and in the action and the description, we got to heighten it and we got to understand what is happening. So with all that said, maybe the whole setup is uh, seeing uh, that awkwardness of the moment entirely from her perspective. A pitch could be that you could start with Jody in the audience. She's nervous. She's excited. She's about to see her hero, Cynthia Sinclair. Claire come up on stage with the presence unlike any other person before that she's ever seen and uh Jody is getting more and more hyped up about being chosen and and right when Cynthia finally chooses her we realize oh no no it's not you sweetie it's the the other person behind you I don't care about you right the uh, person might be like a plant for the show as well and isn't actually real you know whatever it happens to be yeah. minimizing her but the, the point is that that whole scene seeing it and feeling it through Jody's perspective can uh, heighten what we're sensing because as it stands it's a very internal battle and i just felt those emotions were missing yeah the character work and the dialogue is there uh, but it's it's just more on cynthia right now like you can tell that you know the writing is strong but it just we just need to put the focus onto our protagonist uh, in this teaser all right did you have any micro notes on the page yeah so in terms of the the first scene especially the sequence made it seem like initially the conference room was empty except for cynthia and then as the scene progresses, we're playing catch up with the fact that there are actual people in the audience. Uh, I believe the, the first description is something akin to she gazes at the rows of folding chairs set out before her without actually emphasizing that there's an actual audience listening to her every word. And maybe the solution is to capitalize the fact that there is a crowd, there is an audience. So we really get a sense of the dynamic of the scene. But again, that would be solved if, if it's all from the perspective of Jody, which I feel like that is the solve in this case. And also another spacing uh, comment on uh, page two. I think this is the second or third uh, script with spacing issues, which is interesting. All right, so what would want to make you read on versus not? I mean, to me, it comes down to understanding both the story level and the character level, what is going on. Uh, it, like you said, it's a nice vignette. It's a nice moment in Jody's life. Well, not a nice one, but uh, at mm-hmm. least an emotional moment in Jody's life. So if you milk 
that emotion from the scene, at least it's the beginning of the germ of a momentum building towards something. The the other piece that is missing to me is just what is the show about? Presumably it's about this woman that is feeling dejected and she's trying to find acceptance somewhere and she's sad perhaps about, perhaps she's grieving about something and she's trying to reconnect with the person she lost. Maybe I'm just making all that up, but nonetheless, I feel like that is what is missing, just understanding who she is as a person, why she's going through that, and what is the show about? Yeah, there are definitely hints of stuff in there. It's very subtle, like stuff with the children. I think perhaps she's lost a child or something along those lines. But again, I think we just could have milked more out of those moments, particularly with Cynthia. You know, you could have the opportunity to, you know, like Alex said, build it all up to this big moment and then she gets overlooked. Or you could take it the exact other way and kind of get into um, a conversation with Cynthia being like, wait, 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 but I this is my chance. I, I need to talk to you about the thing, you know, whatever direction you want to take it, just making more of a meal out of it all. And then that will help kind of build to that, that lonely moment in the elevator where she just wants to be alone and doesn't want to have that. And that's going to kind of propel us forward into the rest. Yeah. And so that idea, I feel like, I mean, this is sort of the second, the psychic related teaser we had. I feel like there's definitely an opportunity or a scene that could exist between Cynthia and Jody, where it's sort of akin to some the thing I pitched uh, before in terms of uh, Jody building herself up to be chosen and she's finally chosen, but this time she is actually chosen. And there's a scene between Cynthia and Jody and Jody really feels like, and, and Cynthia is really tapping into Jody's emotions and grief and really seeing uh, her, Jody believing Cynthia's pitch. But then there's a, the turn is actually Jody realizing that maybe Cynthia is a fake. And I feel like that lands with us emotionally because we we see Jody feeling tricked by Cynthia and, uh, and what she's uh, playing. Now, with all that said, what is not going to trick you is uh, dealing with stressful situations in a healthy way. And at Paper Team, we actually value the importance of dealing with those situations in a good, mindful way. And that is why our sponsor today is the free meditation app, Simple Habit. Simple Habit features hundreds of guided meditations to help you with specific problems in your life, whether that's being nervous about a pitch meeting or your first day in the rise room. Simple Habit isn't just about teaching you to meditate for the sake of meditating, but to actually bring a secular approach to mindfulness, including audio sessions from world-class meditation teachers, therapists, and coaches. Simple Habit won the 2018 Google Play Award for a standout well-being app and has over 65,000 five-star reviews for both iOS and Android. And just for being a Paper Team listener, you can go to simplehabit.com slash paperteam to get a special offer. Simple Habit is offering 30% off their premium subscription to the first 50 listeners to subscribe via our link at simplehabit.com slash paperteam. Once again, that's simplehabit.com slash paperteam to claim that 30% off the premium subscription for the first 50 listeners to take their offer. So use this opportunity and get the meditation that is right for you. Now onto our next teaser. And uh, it is uh, by Jeremiah Lewis. And the teaser of the show is called Black Mold. And Black Mold, we meet Miso Vicious, a 45-year-old chain-smoking Korean woman who is living in a roach-infested, rundown apartment. She tries to take a shower, but is surrounded by black mold, and the water goes from hot to freezing. The shower is interrupted by her landlord, who knocks on her door to demand this month's rent. Miso then heads to work, where she's a janitor at a local news station. When she inadvertently enters the production booth slash control room to clean, she's accosted by the producer Phil, who she suddenly sees as a human-sized cockroach, and she sprays in the face with chemicals. He roars and grabs her, and she falls back and hits her head against the 
wall, knocking herself out. What did you think of Black Mold? Yeah, this is definitely an interesting teaser. I think that the the writing on the page in terms of the action and the description is quite confident uh, and injects a lot of voice into it. For me, perhaps a little bit too much at times to the point of kind of being a little bit too self-satisfied or cheesy, you know, like every now and then I think it works, but then if you keep doing it, uh, it can be a little bit over the top and, and detract from what we're actually trying to, to witness there. But that said, you know, it definitely has a unique sense of voice to it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I really like the atmosphere the, the sort of the CD motel and the underbelly of it and uh, contrasting that with the TV station. It almost felt like a noir novel at the beginning, which I really enjoyed. But to your point, I, I felt like the, the, there is a risk of being a little bit overwritten and uh, over clever, that's even a, a word. Uh, and uh, that really treaded that line for me, uh, especially when you're mixing sort of uh, over metaphors and, uh, and literal descriptions and sort of cheesy editorializing and self-referential humor, kind of like the Shane Black type in the prose over and over again in almost every line. I feel like that's the danger is putting people off. I was on that line, honestly. There were some moments uh, I thought could be uh, withheld, but overall, I quite enjoyed it. Now, that said, I think it, at times uh, the action and the description is a little bit frantic, perhaps. It, it barely lets us get through a sentence before redirecting it somewhere else. I really noticed that in the shower sequence where she's falling over and seeing the mold and then she's jumping up and the door is happening. There's a ton of the uh, double dashes that are kind of throwing us back and forth from sentence to sentence. And for me, that was a little bit jarring. Yeah, I, I was fine with that personally. To me, what was drawing was more so the extensive descriptions in those action moments. I feel like if you're going to do sort of the, the fast-paced action sequence where you're going from one thing to the next and the, the other thing, then we need to really focus on what is happening on screen and those very specific beats of what is going on as opposed to thinking intellectually, okay, let me understand this metaphor, this moment of this sort of overwritten uh, sequence that's more akin to a novel than it is a script. I feel like that's the line that's uh, perhaps uh, a little bit uh, missing. Now, another note in terms of the sequence at the, the TV station, I thought that uh, you would be losing a lot of real estate by spending so much time with Phil and the different anchors when the focus should really remain on Miso. I feel like that's a, a whole sequence that's um, just wasted space, to be honest, uh, especially when the most of the dialogue is just uh, random comments about uh, you know t the local uh, TV news. Right. Perhaps you want to be intercutting with her, kind of making her way down the hall or cleaning, or she's somewhere in that vicinity during that. But uh, yeah. Yeah, perhaps there's a little bit too much time um, with them for no clear purpose there. Do you have any micro notes? Yeah, there were a couple of descriptors here that uh, kind of stood out to me as odd or even a little bit problematic. One of them was her Asian eyes. Um, you know, she, you say that she's speaking Korean a few lines later, so perhaps you can just be more specific and say that she is Korean. I think there's a, a, often an issue with overgeneralizing Asian characters as just Asian. And then just, you know, the, the fact of kind of introducing her ethnicity specifically through her eyes uh, you know, it felt a little bit problematic to me. Like, would you ever say his Caucasian eyes? It's <laughs> so perhaps, you know, you can kind of do away with that and remember, you know, give us something more of the character in her eyes, like her steely eyes or her, you know, determined eyes or whatever. And then we, we're going to understand very shortly that she is Korean uh, in a moment anyway. Yeah. I feel like the other risk is uh, over sexualizing her. And we have a, a scene in that very pilot where she's completely naked in front of the, the old, uh, the motel owner. So I feel like that's another risk you're taking is especially the, the scare are often over-sexualized, and so that's something to watch out for. Yeah, even her name a little bit, Miso Vicious, kind of alludes to that, that you know, problematic trope of like the Miso horny, that whole kind of like 
characterization of the speech of um, people like that. So just just be careful about the line that you're trying to yeah, get. Yeah, uh, to, to that idea, I feel like if the point is to name her, and if the whole thing is a little bit of a Pulp Fiction-esque world, uh, then uh, I feel like that is missing from the script because, uh, you know, I did mention that it felt more like a noir novel. With a name like Me So Vicious, you could uh, conceivably think that this is a more like a Pulp Fiction type uh, show, but uh, that aspect, that sort of over-the-top element is missing from the pilot, if that is really the intent. If that is not the intent then i would definitely hold back in uh, with those names right if it's in along the lines of like a roller derby nickname or something great but this is just a, a character's straight up nickname in the world it's like a little bit on the edge there so uh in terms of, of more like on the page stuff i know did notice occasionally capital letters were missing at the start of sentences i don't know if that was an artistic choice but it, it only really happened in like one or two spots and felt a little bit weird to me uh, and as i mentioned before a lot of the double dashes were just a tiny bit too jarring for me i i like to use them myself but i think they were just a tiny bit overdone so what would one to make you read on versus not here. Well, beyond what we already talked about, I feel like what was missing for me in this teaser is just a sense of story. I think the the world is there. We understand uh, visually, sort of the style, perhaps, and uh, what's going on with uh, Miso, just not on a on a character level, but on a story perspective. I just don't understand what the show is really about, especially because it's called Black Mold. So we explored what Black Mold means literally, but. Presumably, there's sort of a metaphor behind it in terms of maybe the city, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a dark underbelly or something, or maybe she's uh, losing her mind with uh, the vision of the cockroach. I wasn't clear if that was an actual vision or if it was meant to be like a literal moment, kind of like the classic movie, they live, the 88 movie, where we realize actually all these people are secret cockroaches or some uh, alien species. Obviously, I'm assuming it's more akin to sort of vision and she's losing her mind and maybe she's uh, corrupted by the black mold. Maybe it's something like brain dead where she's incepted with some uh, weird thought. Uh, but either way, the, the point is that on a story level, I was missing that extra moment that is, is going to make me understand, oh, this is what the show is really about. Yeah, I had a similar thought. It was definitely lacking in focus. We spent a lot of time just in her day-to-day routine of having a shower, getting ready, the landlord's coming through, and then she goes to her workplace. And then, you know, the real inciting incident is this bizarre seeing this guy as a cockroach. I, I kind of made my best guess that because she inhaled some spores from the black mold, maybe it's messing with her head she's seen people as cockroaches or whatever it's intriguing uh but it is a tad out of nowhere and doesn't feel like a show has been set up yet like this could perhaps be the start of a movie or something like that but what is it that makes this a show what's the engine what's the premise what are we going to be seeing week to week you know and especially as a teaser that's what you want to get a sense of to be able to continue to read on you know having it feel a little bit more connected and flowing into the next thing yeah and especially if the conceit is that she got infected by the mold and that is going to be sort of the running gag of uh, the show then i would look at shows like brain dead like i mentioned or even invasion the abc mid 2000 show in terms of setting up the threat and uh, and mystery and stakes of the show while still exploring the character perspective and our last paper tease for this month is the red riding hoods by david michael kiraz jr Uh, So we begin with Alexa to Silva, a 20-year-old storming out of a party by a lake house. She's holding back sobs as she reaches the nearby pier. She considers throwing a big diamond ring into the water, but her phone rings, interrupting her. Alexa talks with a friend on the other end for a moment before she hangs up. Alexa puts on music to distract herself. She later returns to the lake house, more composed. She goes up to a bedroom upstairs where she finds the mangled corpse of two people. Alexa screams in horror before realizing that the killer is waiting for her in the hallway. He chases her throughout the house and outside until he's suddenly gunned down by four young women in tactical gear. Before Alexa can thank the vigilantes for saving her, the four women leave. What were your thoughts on this teaser? Well, 
I thought there is a lot to unpack here because uh, despite the the description, a lot is going on in the pilot that I felt was a little bit superfluous for the point of the pilot. The pilot at the end of the day is about this woman being chased by a killer and uh, saved by these four Riding Hood women, Vigilante, at the end. And uh, that's all well and good, but good horror in my mind is contained. We need to have a sense of dread that's building up into the climax of, in this case, the four hoods saving Alexa. And in this teaser, I felt there was a, just a lot of preamble to get to the good stuff, which also doesn't really add anything new to the table. I feel like the, the chase sequence, it may on some level be well executed. I thought the, the different action was well done, but the phone call with a teenage uh, friend or a maid of honor, whoever that was, Kate, uh, that was just a whole scene for no real point at the end of the day. I, I mean, I actually really quite enjoyed this teaser and maybe I'm not quite as critical in all that of you. I definitely think it could have been tied in terms of that opening sequence and getting into that kind of horror moment. But once we were in there, I did really enjoy it. I thought that the tension and the action was well written and there was that sense of kind of dread and fear as the killer was chasing her. So everything from that point on was good. I agree that perhaps the preamble into that could have been um, tighter or you know, more strongly executed in terms of the, the flow of the momentum rather than kind of wandering off to the pier and having a call and then some time passes and she comes back. But, you know, the big reveal of like, you know, her boyfriend or fiance who she thinks is cheating on her has just been cut to pieces and she's being chased. I thought in terms of horror was quite well executed. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. But the, to my point, I feel like the moment that uh, drew you in happened at the midway point of the teaser. It wasn't page one, it wasn't page two, it was page four. So everything leading up to that moment I thought was perhaps good character building on some level, maybe, but not really because I still don't understand who Alexa is. Nonetheless, the moment should be building to the dread of uh, her boyfriend cheating on her. I feel like if that's the, the sequence, you can easily do that in a page. But uh, digging four pages in before we even get a sense of, oh, this is a horror show, movie, or story, rather. The point, again, is not Alexa, right? The point is the hoods. That's what you got to remember. The button on the scene is these four women who perhaps are going to be the leads of the show. I'm not quite sure. Maybe Alexa is going to join the hoods and that's the, the arc of the, the pilot. But nonetheless, we got to understand sort of what is going on on a sort of a, a deep gut level. And I feel like that was what was missing at the top. Right. Well, it, for me, I think it was more the end of the teaser that I had issues with in the hoods showing up. It just kind of felt like they show up, they shoot the guy, they deal with them. They're, they're very dismissive. They're very kind of like, oh, it's not even the guy we wanted. We're going to get out of here. And, you know, they leave without Alexa. Um, I just felt like there was a missed opportunity there in terms of either, like you said, you know, them being like, come with us or giving them her like a business card or something like that, connecting Alexa to the hoods in some way, because this goes, you know, one of two ways. We never see Alexa again and we're just following the hoods or Alexa does become drawn into the hoods and joins them or whatever. And either way, I think that more could have been made out of this scene to, to connect those two pieces rather than leaving us feeling like, oh, well, what happens now? Right. And I feel like that is perhaps one of the missed opportunities here because there are six pages of content but the real meat that we're digging at are just the last four pages. So if you front load those elements, 
at the top with maybe a page of, of buildup beforehand and then you heighten the the button of it with the hoods and so we really get to understand their dynamics in a bigger way i feel like that is going to really help propel the teaser forward yeah i will say though conceptually I, I do like this idea of you know this group of women who go around stopping serial killers or monsters or whatever it happens to be i think that that's an interesting premise that is you know uh, relatively unique and and there could be a lot done with this especially with the kind of horror tone mixed in with like the supernatural and the action and all that kind of thing the one point where it felt a little bit hammered too hard for me was where they start singing the over the woods the grandmother's house we go as they're leaving i'm like it's okay we get it we know it's red riding hood we know it's drawing on the fable i think it was enough with just the uniforms and the and that sort of thing i don't want to get too down on, on this teaser i actually like the contents i saw and the elements that were brought up uh, in the teaser I, like i said i feel like the action itself is well done it was just an element that was missing in terms of getting to the meat faster now this is more micro notes usually but i gotta bring it up in the more macro element because uh, this was repetitive throughout the script and uh, that's the lack of consistency in the formatting of the script and that's something you can even notice on literally page one and page two. Sometimes there's a use of single dash, sometimes double dash, sometimes triple dash, sometimes three dots, all throughout prose and dialogue. In that same sequence, ID isn't capitalized, but DMV is within that same sentence. Uh, some sentences use double space between them, others don't. Again, all within the same batch of, of dialogue. So, And uh, the slug lines also are not consistent throughout in terms of what is macro versus micro, uh, dividing the pier from the exterior, dividing going from the hallway into a micro slug with the bedroom even though the bedroom should be its own slug line <laughs> there's a lot of those little bits and pieces that uh usually would be a micro note but because it's so repetitive throughout the script i feel like that's a, a really big red flag in terms of being consistent throughout the script you know the interesting thing to me is i didn't pick up on any of that because i was invested in the story and what was happening once the kind of action took off so there's a note for our listeners if, if you're writing well then perhaps people will overlook that but but for a lot of other people it will pull them right out of it and stop them from enjoying your piece yeah to go back to what i said again this is page one and two not uh, page six so i feel like that's to me the biggest red flag is within the action itself later on when the, the killer is tracing alexa okay fine but uh when it's literally within the first dialogue between alexa and kate i feel like that was the, the red flag uh, also again this isn't just digging into the micro but i feel like it's important to to point out some of the phrasing uh, i thought wasn't really working in terms of the conjugation so for example the party's over for at least one person alexa da silva storms out of the back door as opposed to alexa da silva who storms out of the back door or he tries to rest the axe out as opposed to wrestle the axe out. Uh, so those little moments, I thought, pulled me out of the read specifically because of the action stopping for those moments. I feel like that's the moment where you got to really pay attention to the sentence and the phrasing and the verbiage that you use in that prose. Now, those were the recurring micro macro notes, but what about super specific micro notes? Really, for me, only one thing I, I noticed was the use of filter on phone conversations. I feel like that's almost like an out dated kind of usage at this point and most people just kind of put os uh when it's a phone conversation i don't really see filter that much anymore but that might just be a personal thing for me well we just saw it in the previous teaser black mold which also used uh filtered so but i definitely concur that filtered isn't kind of is kind of outdated i personally use uh, on the phone or uh, oc or on phone so i definitely concur i had uh, also on top of this formatting uh content there were a few typos also that i noticed for example alexa's stomps across the wooden planks in designer boots 
even though it should be Alexa stomps across the wooden planks in designer boots. So it's a lot of those little moments that in a vacuum aren't that big of a deal, but it's the accumulation of those within seven pages that is uh, in my mind sort of a flag. But what makes us want to read on versus not? Uh, I think for me, the main thing is just connecting this little horror vignette with the rest of the story and what's going to happen next. You know, our POV stays with Alexa while the hoods disappear. So, you know, that begs the question, is this her story or is she just someone who's going to disappear after this teaser and we're going to be straight with the hoods for the rest of the thing? Is she going to join the group? Like I would have wanted just a little bit more of a hint as to what's going to happen next because anything could happen from here. Yeah. If we are reading this under the assumption that Alexa is the lead of of the show and her arc is going to be to join the hoods at some point or want to join those are revengers at some point then i do feel like that's a sort of a good way to end but there's that piece that nick mentioned in terms of her connecting the dots to the hoods my whole thing is just i wanted more of that centerpiece brought up earlier there's a lot of build up with Alexa, that if you want to keep the Alexa cake conversation, you can still have your cake and eat it too, or your Kate and eat it too, so to speak, where you can bring the Kate Alexa conversation later in the episode, maybe, or the, there's the dynamic that could be had there that doesn't need to be present in the teaser. Because again, the teaser is about point blank. Alexa realizes her boyfriend got murdered, a killer chases her, and then she's saved by those four vigilante women. That's the teaser. You don't need a whole preamble about uh, sort of a party going on. And, and, and I understand some of the ambiance needs to be brought up, but that could be constrained to one or two pages, especially because we're, again, talking about a teaser. We're not talking about a full act here. So that's something to watch out for. Well, if you want us to review your teasers, you can do that at paperteam.co slash teaser, submit your TV pilot teaser, eight pages or less, any genre, any format, and we will hopefully select it to give you some feedback on air. And before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to shout at one of those coveted Patreon slots for Paper Tees, consider supporting us via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our Paper Patreon podcast, cheat sheets, and lots of other great stuff. So get on it at paperteam.co slash Patreon. And we can keep producing a great show like this for you every week. And on that note, thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes and uh, scripts we reviewed in this episode at paperteam.co slash 155. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. And at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send those to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to be returning to one of our classic episodes on TV Pros and doing a deeper dive in TV Pros 201. Well, we'll dig into all about editorializing, which we saw in this very episode. So it's a very fitting that we return to TV pros. All right. We'll see you all then. See you then.